Our amble today takes us from where we left off last time at the Lord Nelson Hotel along Kent Street and up to really one of the most delightful spots in Sydney, which is now called Observatory Hill, but as we'll hear as we go along, has been called by various names over the years. Starting at the Lord Nelson, uh, just at one end of Argyle Place, near the intersection of Kent Street and Argyle Street, that in itself is a lovely building and dates back to about 1835 and I think has been licensed from somewhere about 1840. And it was sad that earlier this year when the COVID closures came, the hotel had to shut its doors for the first time in over 100 years. We cross over Kent Street, Argyle Street, and then walk along Kent Street in a southerly direction, that's with our back to the harbour, and make our way down. Soon after you pass the corner, you'll notice a little school called St Bridget's Church School. On your left, there's a very interesting Royal Australian Historical Society plaque, which tells you a little about it. But the interesting point for our purposes is that since 1835, there's been some form of religious education or instruction or observance going on on this site. Shortly after that, you'll come to a, another building and you'll notice the foundation stone for Rawson Hall. And this is a place built in 1904 in what is called the Federation Free Style. And I must say again that one day I'll perhaps understand what all these styles are. Stop was initially uh, used by the Methodist Church, but later became a mission to seamen. If you walk on a bit further, just keep glancing to the right and shortly past Rawson Hall, you'll notice on the other side of the road, the western side of Kent Street, a wonderful three-storey terrace building called Winsbury, W-I-N-S-B-U-R-Y. And as is shown on the top of the building, it was built in... 1875. Now its description is that it's of the Victorian Italianate school. Interestingly, just as an aside, it was rented as a house of provenance by the Sisters of St Joseph from July 1880. And it seems that Mary MacKillop, the first and only Australian saint, resided there for a couple of months in the early years of 1881. It went into private hands on some form of lease fairly recently and was renovated, but it was Department of Housing accommodation for a period. Shortly, you'll come to a tennis court on your left, and immediately after the tennis court are the absolutely delightful Agar, A-G-A-R, steps, and they will take us up to Observatory Hill. Now, they were originally called Flagstaff Steps for reasons that will emerge shortly but were later renamed Agar Steps, and apparently uh, the name came from a chap called Thomas Agar, who was a merchant uh, and, uh, surprise, surprise, a city councillor. They're great at leaving memorials, as you'll see. It seems likely that there was some form of staircase in this location going back as far as 1869, but there's been various reconstructions over the years. The terrace and shop on the corner, the southern corner of the stairs, is called the Carlson Terrace, and that dates back to 1882. 
And I should just mention that the wonderful, wonderful fig trees, uh, which are beside the stairs as we go up, are estimated to be about 125 years old. Ruth Park, in her book, Sydney, described it rather beautifully. The stairs have been much painted and photographed during their long history. Their Italianate character lends a strangely romantic note to the maritime atmosphere of Miller's Point. And, end quote. and I think she's hit the nail on the head because the little terraces running up the line of the stairs does have a wonderful European feel about it. So we go up the stairs. You'll come to a point where there's stairs off to the left and that's the way we go. Straight ahead just takes you up to provide access to the terraces which are higher up. As you reach the top, you'll see the wonderful park and the observatory before you. There's numerous paths, but I can suggest that it's probably a good idea to keep to your left because the views are, are really probably a bit more dramatic to the left. The spot where the observatory sit was described back in colonial days in the following manner and really is a very good description. Quote, affording commanding views of the harbour approaches from east to west, the river, the road to Parramatta, surrounding country, and the entire town below, end quote. As I say, keep to the left and just take in the view. Don't rush. Just enjoy it because there's so much to see. And you'll notice after a short while the top of the terraces we just mentioned of Winsbury, and you'll see what a fantastic position it's in. You'll, by this point, be walking with the observatory to your right, Take time to look at it, and in due course, I suggest you do go in because it's very interesting. But you'll notice on the top of the main building, there's a sort of a shaft with a yellow ball on it. Now, that ball is of particular significance because that drops every day at 1pm. And that has been happening since the 8th of June, 1858. And the observatory's initial duty and function was to provide a means of accurately setting time for both the inhabitants of Sydney and also more particularly for ship's captains to set their instruments. Initially apparently it used to drop at noon but at some time in the past it was changed to one and it still happens so it's certainly worth watching out for. As you walk on a little you'll come to a corner and there's a white uh, plastic marquee outdoor area. If you just particularly stop there and look to your west, to your left hand, you get a wonderful view down the line of Sydney Harbour, uh, running on down till it becomes the Parramatta River. But if it's a clear day with pretty clear air, you'll spot the line of the Blue Mountains. Now, the spot gives you a great idea of Sydney because the Blue Mountains really marks the western edge of the main city of Sydney, which basically stops at the Nepean River. And if it is very clear, you'll notice two particularly large hills, mountains, whatever you want to call them, rising up above the general line of the mountains. Now, I've made some pretty basic observations using some field glasses to try and pick up some landmarks to get a line, and then just using a big bit of wood and a pencil. But it confirmed my impression that what you're looking at there is Mount Tomar and Mount Wilson. And they are particularly large parts of the Blue Mountains and they're a long, long way from Sydney. So you're getting an amazing view from that spot. 
And in terms of topography, Sydney, as you can see from where you are, is fairly hilly closer to the city. But as one moves west, that tends to subside. And really from probably a bit before Parramatta right through to the foot of the Blue Mountains, it's basically flat or rolling. And that's always been known as the Cumberland Plain. Uh, as you go around the corner, you'll come upon a very delightful statue, which is uh, in remembrance of Hans Christian Andersen. And it's worth stopping there and having a bit of a read of what's there, because interestingly, another fairly identical statue was given to the city of Sydney in the early 1950s. And it was placed down in Phillip Park, which is down behind St Mary's on the other side of the city. And then at some point it was decided that it would be moved, except that when they went to get it, it wasn't there. And no one apparently to this day knows who knocked it off or where it is. But in any event, some very generous Danish people have given us another statue and it's there and hopefully this one is fairly well fixed down. You'll see as you come round and then you get that fantastic view of the western side of the bridge and across the harbour north the north sydney area you'll see in front of you a quite delightful war memorial again it's worth going over and having a look at that because it's a memorial to those who served in the boer war what's particularly important to note and remember is that this occurred before the states of australia federated to create the commonwealth you'll see on that plaque that what happened is regiments from the new south wales the state of new south wales armed forces went to fight in the Boer War, South African War. And indeed, there was some were sent to uh, fight in the Sudan. And that's a fact that's not often remembered these days, and it's certainly something uh, I'll cover in a later podcast. But probably the most important thing to do when you get to that part is just to sit down somewhere and drink it all in, because it's just a great spot. I should warn you, it can be... Breezy up there, it's no wonder they had a windmill there early on, particularly on a summer's day, you'll get a strong nor'easter, but that probably makes it all the more interesting. As you're sitting, hopefully, looking down towards that side of the bridge, it's important just to say that somewhere down there on that lower part from the hill was the site of the first observatory that ever existed in terms of European observatories in Australia. And in fact, that occurred very soon after the arrival of the Europeans to settle in 1788. And a Lieutenant William Dawes, who was a member of the Marines, had been given various astronomical instruments, principally by the Board of Longitude, with the direction that he makes certain observations. And in particular, what he was trying to observe is the passage of a comet. Now, it's not Halley's Comet, but it was another comet that Halley, Edmund Halley, had predicted would arrive at about that time. So he set up a little rough shelter for his instruments, and that was Australia's first observatory. But what is particularly fascinating is he, early on, formed a friendship with a young woman of the Gadigal people who lived in this area when the Europeans arrived, and they became friendly. She used to go up with him to the observatory at night, and he would show her the telescope, explain his interpretations of what was being seen. She told him about her understanding of the positions of certain stars or constellations and what movements they made, 
and what those stars and their movements signified in terms of the events that were likely to occur during the year. So it was quite an extraordinary friendship and very touching, really, to hear that a friendship like that developed at an early time. If you then walk down a little bit further, you'll come to some stone walls and there's the big flagstaff, the big white flagpole. Where you are there and when you're on the eastern side, in other words, the side where you're facing towards the cars going onto the bridge, you've actually got a wall which was part of Fort Philip and has been there since about 1804. The governor of New South Wales in the early years, 1800 to 1806, was a Governor King. He was concerned about a number of things. He was concerned about attacks by French or Spanish ships, but he was also concerned about a rebellion by convicts. And in about 1798, a large contingent of convicts had arrived who had been involved in rebellions in Ireland and been sent out, and they were a fairly lively mob by all accounts. Governor King was concerned to have this fought, and the intention was that if there was a bad uprising by the convicts, then the other citizens could withdraw into the citadel and defend themselves. So three sides were built, but it was going to be a hexagon, but it was never finished. In any event, we have that wonderful piece of structure which dates back all those years. And it's interesting just to mention at this point that there was the first windmill, which we mentioned these windmills in an earlier episode, and the first one was really just in that area where the observatory now is. And it was Governor Hunter who built it, and it was a stone tower with a, a timber cap to carry the sails. Well, it got built on a tower and everything started to work in January 1797, but unfortunately within a month some miscreant had stolen the sails. So that had to be fixed and it then got going again, but in May 1797 it was damaged by high winds and had to have further repairs. And the final indignity and the end of this particular windmill was in November 1805 when it was knocked down in a violent storm. And just as an aside, it's interesting to recall that in 1812 there was a water mill operating in a small stream in what was then called Barcom Glen, which was a glen flowing down towards Rushcutters Bay. And that's perhaps something we should have a bit of a look about at some stage. You'll see there the flagpole, as I said. There has been a signal station on that site from 1810, and that operated continuously until it was closed down in 1939. And there's a wonderful sequel to that, that at the time it closed in 1939, and a gentleman holding the office of Signal Messenger was living in the house there, but presumably he was allowed to stay on until his retirement, uh, until 1985. And I mean, what a place to live. And it's also interesting to just note on that, that the gentleman who was the government astronomer from 1943 to 1974 was a chap called Harley Wood. And he lived with his wife and children at the observatory for all the years that he was the astronomer. Now, what a job. They never told us about that at school. You get paid by the government, you look at stars at night and you live on Observatory Hill. It doesn't come much better than that. The area we call Observatory Hill, it was first called 
Citadel Hill that was called Flagstaff Hill at one point, and also ultimately we settled on Observatory Hill. Can I suggest that you go in and have a look at the observatory? It's very interesting, some wonderful exhibits, it's a wonderful building, but can I just suggest that you don't miss one thing, and that is this, that in one of the rooms where there's exhibits, there is a mounted, framed copy of the first weather map ever produced in Australia. And that was in 1877. And the then government astronomer was Henry Russell. And he drew it by getting telegraphed details from 40 weather recording stations across New South Wales. So you've got a wonderful piece of trivia here that you can say that the first weather map ever in Australia was published in the Sydney Morning Herald on the 5th of February, 1877. That's enough, I think, for this. But as I say, it's a wonderful place. Roam around, enjoy it, soak up the views, soak up the history. It's a great spot. So until next time, stay well, stay happy. I hope you get some time to amble and on Observatory Hill, time to sit. Until next time, cheerio.